All right, people, welcome to another episode of Natty News Daily. We've got Mr. Jeff Alberts. I'm sure many of you listening will know who Jeff is. Been in the game for a long time, multiple title wins, very well-renowned coach, works with 3DMJ. Um, Jeff, for those that maybe don't know who you are, the small, small percentage of listeners that maybe don't know who you are, can you give us a brief rundown of, of what you're all about? Sure. So I think first things first is I'm a dad and a husband first before I'm a bodybuilder. Used to be the other way around, <laughs> but we definitely cleaned that up over the years. Yeah. Um, after that, then, like you guys said, coach with 3D Muscle Journey for, since 2009, 2010. That's when we first started. Um, outside of that, been a bodybuilder since the early 90s as far as competitively. And it started out way back in 1986 was the first time I touched the weight back in middle school and just fell in love with it ever since. So I've seen a lot, um, done a lot, um, and it's nice just to be on a podcast like this. I mean, you guys are doing some really great work, so I'm honored. Appreciate that, man. Appreciate, appreciate that. it. Yeah. Thank so let, let's before we go into kind of the meat and potatoes of what I want to talk about, can you give us a brief rundown of you know competition history over the years, number of shows, you know, notable wins? How long is there the podcast for? <laughs> i like it that's good that's a great answer i that's love a lustrious uh i mean we can we can talk forever uh but i mean my first show was back in 93 um yeah. it was an aau show uh which i don't even know what that stands for anymore um <laughs> it was a non-tested show of course um got my start there um placed top 10 out of 16 i was think i was somewhere in the neighborhood of ninth or 10th mm -hmm. didn't know what i was doing i dieted for six weeks lost 30 pounds so you guys could what? imagine what that diet looked like. It was some bad things to do, but it really did teach me how to grind and persevere. And sure. in a sense, it was like a six week torture. Yeah. And at the end of it, I was just like, if I can do that, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can do a lot. So it taught me a lot, even though it wasn't real ideal. Um, do you recall just briefly, because I think yeah. that's uh, something interesting to hear. What did that six weeks look like? Oh my gosh. Like diet wise, like I didn't know. So at the time I didn't know anything about dieting or yeah. bodybuilding in general, just because, you know, the information just really wasn't out there back in 1993. Yeah. So I was like, Hey, let me just eat this chicken breast and this white rice. And I think I had raisins and that's what I ate for six weeks. Pretty much. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the calories were, but if I had to estimate, I'm going to say maybe 13 to 1500 calories. Yeah for yeah. six weeks. So going from like 190 pounds down to 160 pounds, um, just chew through a lot of muscle. Um, yeah. I look flat, I look stringy, yeah. but at the you time, had be, you, had I thought I looked great, too. you know, uh, you had to have been hungry too. Cause white rice and raisins aren't really that satiating. You know what? I think I was just so motivated. It didn't matter. Yeah. Like it's weird. Cause now like I'm it's not wild I'm how 195 pounds now and I diet for two days. I feel hungry. I'm like, oh, come on, Jeff, you're soft. <laughs> yeah, smart now. <laughs> but yeah, I just grinded. It just, I was just so motivated. You know, it was the first show and you know, a little bit of an ego was kind of feeling me as well. So I, I just yeah. made it happen. Yeah, yeah. So fast forward to now, you know, do you know how many shows you've done exactly? I think we're in the neighborhood of, including guest posings probably a little over 40 maybe wow. so i did a lot of shows early on and then i had some pretty big gaps um so because i know there's some bodybuilders that are my age of like 100 or more 
So I don't consider 40 to be too much. Do you, did you early on like do multiple shows a season versus like, mm-hmm. like a one and done? Yeah. So my first three years, 93, 94, 95, I competed every single year. Um, I think the first year was two shows and those three shows in, in yep. year two and three. Um, I didn't know any, have any idea about timelines and how yeah. to like big picture game plan and how to have a successful, like extended off season. It was just diet, do shows. Once the shows are over with eat big, train, yep. try yep. to get bigger and go back at it. Yep. Um, what's interesting is it's kind of the similar philosophies we're seeing now. Um, cause I think we got a little sciencey there, probably a little too much about 10 years ago. Um, yeah. but now it's like people are like, Hey, let's get big. Let's, let's eat. And so yeah. things are very, like what I've noticed, things like are cyclical. very cyclical. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about going back to the number of shows in a season? What do you kind of think the sweet spot is for number of shows in a season or, you know, length of time mm-hmm. between your first show and your last show? I think if, I'm if your I, thoughts on that. I don't think it's the number per se. It's like how you place them. So if you're placing them, you know, within a you know two, three, maybe four month time span, yeah, I think you can do pretty well. But once you start extending that season out, like I did in 2019, that's one thing I learned in 2019 was that when I got to Worlds, I, this was my worst physique. Yeah, you're fried. I was just tapped out. Yeah, my physique was started like the last two months really kind of took its toll, and I started to, you know, in a sense, deflate a little bit. I yeah. looked tired. My physique looked tired. And, you know, when you're going through it, I was having so much fun though. Like 2019 was probably my most fun season I ever had. So I did seven shows total, including yeah. guest posings. So I just had something that was targeting that seemed like every single month. So <laughs> it just fueled me. But I mean, at yeah. a certain point, you know, you just, you're just, your body is like, okay, you're trying to do too much and yeah. you know, going for worlds, you're trying to go to another level. Yeah. And I think I just over dieted. And of course you can't see it when you're going through it. You go in hindsight, everything's 2020. Um, so that's what, uh, actually last week when I met up with Alberto, that's what we kind of talked about was just how to plan out, uh, 2022. Yeah. That's yeah. something. How that's long something was that, that timeline? I, I know it was, it was long. I remember following that prep. 2019. What was um, it? Like was like in total to... it was a little over a year of, so the way I diet, it's different than let's say someone else might, might do it. Like I'm not hardcore bodybuilder 24 seven. So there was stents where I'd push times where I back off because I try to incorporate the family life work life so you know people see the the long timeline their first reaction is oh my god this dude's gonna lose a ton of muscle because he's dieting for a year it really wasn't the case like if I had to really count the number of days I was in a deficit I would say maybe a half to two-thirds of the time was actually dieting yeah. So we, we talk about refeeds, diet breaks, holidays, date nights with the wife. So more of a lifestyle. And it's not something that I could have did. Like obviously in, in year number one, dieting yeah. for six weeks, right? That, of course, that wasn't the case. But over time, as you gain experience, then you, you find ways to try to maneuver a lot of things to try to incorporate the real world in with the bodybuilding world. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Easier said than done. Um <laughs> Because you always want to ask your better half at the end, how successful was I doing that? Because that's where you're going to find the truth. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good segue into what I want to, you know, really dive into, and that's, you know, the things you've learned over the years, you know, with competing, with prepping. I mean, even with coaching. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a dad. You're married. You run a business. You're a bodybuilder. So, 
I guess, I guess what's, what's kind of big things you've learned over the years, you know, what, what's, what's maybe something that at the beginning you put more effort into that maybe now you're like, ah, that's not as big of a deal as I made it out to be. There's so many, I mean, I don't even know where to start with that. That's like such an open-ended question for me. I think probably the prep where I really had like some big aha moments was 2011 and 2014. So 2011, if I can go back in time there, that's when like refeeds started to become a little more, you know, popular. They were starting to, you know, be in the forefront a little bit more. Prior to that, I really didn't do too much refeeding other than just like, oh shit, I had a binge. Um, <laughs> I would have had refeeds. I probably would have prevented those moments. Yeah. Um, but, you know, going from 2009 to 2011, that's where I put on 10 pounds of muscle or I would say probably retained 10 pounds of muscle because in 2009, it was kind of a harsh dieting uh, prep. You know, it was like just losing, you know, probably a little more than 1% of my body weight most weeks. So then in 2011, I was like, hey, let's incorporate this refeed thing. Yeah. So it was that kind of, you know, and just extending out the timeline a little bit longer to be a little more conservative on the dieting front that preserved a lot more tissue. So everybody kind of assumed like I gained 10 pounds of muscle in an off season, which wasn't the case. So I just got a little bit more skilled as far as how I take that body fat off and retaining that muscle mass. So that was a big eye opener. It's like, oh, I can actually diet on more food. I could actually take a little bit longer to diet instead of trying to go so fast. Yeah. Um, in 2014, it was like, hey, let's remove the, the myths of, hey, I got to eat every three hours or I have to train on specific days. It was more like, that's when I became more of a dad and husband. I'm like, okay, let me, let me put family first. So there was days where I didn't train, you know, certain body parts or whatever. It's like, Hey, I got to take the kid to the dentist or something like that. So just letting go a lot of that, uh, robotic hardcore mentality. Um, and, and that's where kind of that lifestyle really started to take take shape as far as let me really extend these timelines out even further to account for all these things that happen in life so that's where the 50-week prep came in you know that was a 50-week prep in 2014 um and that was the year where i won the the pro international yeah uh, took fourth at worlds it was like my best year and i think it was just because I was able to maneuver the preps with a lot less stress versus I was say, preps. do you think the stress removal was a big factor there? It's a huge factor. Yeah. It's a huge factor. Yeah. Well, that's why I personally, yeah. I like, I'd rather have more time yeah. personally for me and with my athletes because we're human and a lot of things pop up. And I think uh, even with social media, you follow a lot of bodybuilders, man. It just seems like things are so perfect and smooth. I'm like, not uh, 99% of the time there's there's something going on behind closed doors where I'm sure there's some of us somewhat of a struggle or stress there so there's nothing wrong with having a little bit more time on your hands to be able to maneuver around these things no for sure you said you mentioned the the word hardcore and I think that uh in the early years I mean I can definitely speak for myself that the hardcore aspect of bodybuilding is, is somewhat mm-hmm. appealing, somewhat attractive. You know, the old uh, Frank McGrath ads, um, Animal Pack, where he's hoodie on in the dark gym. And, you know, you're kind of attracted to that. And, and it's, you know, that reflects. I've been wearing a hoodie too, but not because I'm trying to be hard because it's cold. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's yeah. minus two in my home gym right now. It's a little chilly out. 
Uh, yeah, okay, well, I'm, I'm hot. Then. Yeah, I'm like 60, so you're good. Yeah. What's funny is that what I what I kind of deem as hardcore nowadays is definitely different than it was maybe maybe five, six years ago. I, I, I think I think doing this the non-sexy stuff is more hardcore than the hurrah rah you know stuff. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I feel like finding a balance and like actually being able to find a middle ground is way harder and shows way more experience than just being 100% like no social gatherings, no friends, no plan, like no no meals off, like none of that. It's like that's easy. You know, if you have dedication, you're motivated, you can do that. You can just stay in your tunnel, but like to be able to bounce in and out. Like I remember you went on vacation, Jeff, and you were doing your workouts, like hanging from your table, doing inverted rows and, you know, doing split squats with a water jug. Like that to me is way more levels of dedication to stick with a plan when you're completely out of your environment and still progress and like, go through a prep the old jeff would freak out on that yeah mm-hmm. like oh shit i don't have the machine i usually use in the gym what am i gonna do now like i'm gonna regress or i'm not gonna make as much progress but mm-hmm. i mean common sense just kind of tells me like okay how am i gonna lose muscle mass if i don't train at all and it's gonna have to happen for weeks on end so yeah. mm-hmm. if i'm just doing something and i'm using my even if it's just body weight i mean you got to fight gravity and if you have mm-hmm the same type of dedication, commitment, work ethic that you always have in a commercial gym, let's say, just apply it using your body weight. And that might mean it's a little uncomfortable taking a split squat to 30 reps to failure, but mm-hmm. you just do what you got to do to, to yeah. maintain that muscle. So I just, those are the things that, you know, experience kind of brings. It just kind of cures a lot of the insecurity because when we're younger, we always think we got to try to optimize things like just be perfect all the time. And that's just not going to happen in the real world. I think anyone who's ever done a Bulgarian split squat understands that 30, 30 rep uh, split squat. That's, that's hardcore in and of itself. Everybody did it in 2020, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I, I did it because i have a home gym that's well equipped but i mean like that was beautiful when i when it was almost like a the mexico trip where i was training you know at with home, the water with jug. the water jug it was yeah it was kind of helpful to a lot of people when the pandemic first hit that was i think that was my first post like oh shit i'm gonna go back to those those water jug clips i'm gonna put that out there and then if we look back like I'm an older guy in the sport. I mean, we're talking like the early mid eighties when I first started, but go back to the 1900s, early 1900s. You got guys like Bobby Pandora, who if they're in today's age would be probably a natural pro, but yet he only trained with very limited equipment. Um, He probably would have thought a water bottle was a luxury at the time. So it's more about what's inside you versus what you're actually using. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something that I think uh, a lot of people just have to, you know, train their mindset a little bit more than their physicality, because the, the physicality is going to follow the mind if you have that right. It always starts there. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk uh, nutrition and the changes you've made over time. So, you know, we started chatting about your first prep there with chicken, rice and raisins. Mm. And now you're posting pastrami on grilled cheese today for lunch. So. Can, can you talk about how your nutrition has changed over the years and your, you know, the way you look at things and, you know, you briefly mentioned the eating every three hours that you don't really yeah. over, overly worry about that. I was like one of your bro bodybuilders for a very long time, you know, stereotypical. I mean, very clean all the time, um, year round. Yep. So I did that all the way until my late thirties. Um, and this is prior to meeting the other guys at 3DMJ. So 
I used to work in an auto factory. I didn't really venture out online too much. Got tired of looking at Flex Magazine. So I was kind of just in my own ways, kind of just doing my own thing. And these guys uh, enlightened me when I met them about flexible dieting. So I went from like one extreme to now I'm like, oh shit, you mean I can eat a Pop-Tart, you know, in a protein shake and that'll, that'll do it. So it yeah. kind of went from one extreme to the other. Yeah. And then over, you know, a few years time going through a, few, a couple of preps, you kind of just realize like, okay, there's, there's middle ground, there's, there's shades of gray, there's context, there's timing. So there's times to, yeah, I need to be a little more bro and go back to my roots maybe it's a month before a show let's really start cleaning things up um or it could be like hey i'm six months out from a show i'm still in a deficit but you know if i want to have a pastrami sandwich i'm gonna have a pastrami sandwich <laughs> i was so gonna ask just, i was gonna ask if you have any any place for like the bro style or like a meal plan or anything like that like do you kind of the last you know four six weeks before a contest really refine that a little bit more I do. I try to clean things up, get things really regimented and uh, try to try to go back to my roots because back then it was like, okay, I'm eating certain times. I'm eating roughly the same amount of uh, food each meal. It's looking like the, the food sources are roughly the same. So you try to just eliminate a lot of those, those, those factors um, yeah. where it's hard to just decipher what's really going on. Yeah. Which I feel like at that stage in a prep is, is probably unavoidable for most people. Right. And that's, you know, when you're that close to the show, you're, you're probably mentally going to want to tighten the reins anyways, and just really lock it in for those last little weeks. But like you said, six, six months from a contest, then maybe not as important. Yeah. I mean, some people, I mean, I've seen it, you know, two weeks before a show, a week before a show, you know, people do kind of deviate. Um, so it's, it's sometimes it's just, it's nuanced with, with certain individuals um you know i've seen people a day before a show do some wacky things you're like why did you do that i thought it would help <laughs> so it's just yeah. you know i've seen a lot of crazy things but personally yeah i like to really just tighten things down you know the last three four weeks especially let's get you know a little bit more tight yeah. on things yeah yeah anything uh from you guys about diet before we jump to training no no not that i can think of okay. mm, no no Nothing crazy. No, I, I, I think tightening the reins yet, especially towards the tail end, is probably a good idea. Being wise with your food choices, managing satiety, all that fun stuff. Yeah. We could yep. go down a rabbit hole talking about Dan's food choices, but we won't do that. I want to hear one. I want to hear one. So you guys are all asking me the questions. I want, I want to hear about you guys a little bit. Um, Dan's dinner is always a preposterous combination of foods. Like, what was that last night? Oh, my like, dinner or my last pickle, meal? Uh, your last meal we'll say last uh, meal yeah 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 last what meal was it here. i don't like, even know uh, it's one just a... one boiled egg one pickle like three slices it's of like cabbage, this 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 it's a like protein a protein shake like... it's i i i said it was like what i try and get my child to eat when she's being picky like a little of literally everything you found and just the macros work and it's so funny to see as long as it take you to get that going like how to collect all that <laughs> that's stressful to me yeah uh, not that not that long i mean towards the tail end of prep it was it was not really what was it maybe like a, a shake and a few eggs and i don't know some pickles or fruit like it wasn't much like carbs proteins fats so it was yeah but you know as the calories get higher my uh creativity gets gets higher 
you know, I'm like, Oh, I want to eat that. Or I want to eat that. You know, I think anytime, like personally, or even as a coach, if like, if I see an athlete spending way too much time in the kitchen, I'm like, just eat an apple and a protein shake and you won't be hungry anymore. <laughs> Cause oftentimes like I got, I have 300 calories for this last meal. I'm going to make this awesome meal. And they're watching the food network, trying to figure out all these different ingredients. And they're spending like two, three hours in the kitchen, making this 300 calorie meal. I'm like, that's just way too much energy being wasted yeah. right there. Yeah. For me, I, uh, so I'm this weekend will be 18 weeks out and my kind of day to day is the same up until my last meal. And then wife and I for dinner like yo what do you want tonight and then I just kind of make it work yeah make it work right like tonight we're having we're making our own pizzas last night we had breakfast so we had like little taters eggs bagel I have a lot I usually backload a lot of food in the evening um, just because I like to kind of just sit down with a bunch of food and then go to sleep so lots of carbs before bed and it works for me that's been my method but before you know, two years ago, my last meal was egg whites and spinach because no carbs before bed, right? So I got an egg white story for you guys. So that six week diet for my first prep, I did have egg whites. I forgot. You guys made me remember back in, like, <laughs> back in 93, it was chicken and egg whites. So I used to eat a lot of egg whites and let's just say I killed my ex-wife pretty bad. <laughs> it just torched her. Just no torched her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. I I don't eat too many straight egg whites for that reason. I like that just the, the hard boiled eggs. That's generally what I go for. I do egg whites every morning, but it's like the liquid egg whites in a pan, a little bit of fat free yeah. cheese in there, or something like that, light cheese, and I'm good to go. But I'm talking straight hardcore boiled egg whites, like really <laughs> boiled. Wow. And we're talking like twelve. Wow. Oh jeez! <laughs> yeah. I remember that's. I remember doing that in college, but that was, you know, I would yeah. go to the go to the whatever the buffet and literally pick them apart. Which, yeah. Yeah. So what's that really cool part. is like the stuff I used to do that was dumb. Like it was like ten times more dumb than let's say what you guys might have been doing five years ago. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So training wise, you've obviously revised things over the years, learned some lessons, injured some things, learned from that. So what, uh, what did Jeff of old do that Jeff now doesn't do? Mm. You know what? My training approach has been fairly similar, even though it's revived been revised a little bit over the years. I think the biggest thing I've gotten really good at is just kind of knowing myself, knowing where my thresholds are. You know, because I think that's the biggest question a lot of people ask is how much volume should I be doing? Like, that's something I kind of have a good handle on. Um, yep. And I think what's what's really nice about my history is like back in the early 90s, I hooked up with, you know, Mincer and, and Yates's philosophy, low volume, high intensity. Yep. So it's not something that I would say, yeah, it's probably ideal for everybody nowadays. Mm-hmm. But what it did teach me along with that six week diet was how to grind how to push. And I think oftentimes, you know, that's, we don't see that too much with people. Like take a look at any gym you go into and you just kind of see people growing through the motions. And they're the same people that kind of say like, how do you make those changes, bro? <laughs> it's like, well, you got to put some effort in. So, yeah. and obviously common sense, the more effort, the more intense you get, you can't do as much overall workload. 
Yeah. So you kind of have to learn where your thresholds are at. So there's moments like now I'm just really good at being able to auto-regulate, knowing when to push, knowing when to back off, knowing when to maybe use a little bit more set volume versus the intensity. Uh, Cause there's some days where I just don't want to grind. I'm like, I don't feel like going to failure today. You know, I'm older, cranky or whatever. Let me just do an extra set and back it off. And again, going back to the common sense thing, like I'm not going to lose muscle if I don't push to failure. You know, it's about not training at all. And it's, that's one lesson I learned. Like I had a four month layoff in, I think it was 2012. Yeah. Right before my son was born. Um, I was like, I, again, going one extreme to the other. Let me, let me just take care of family and not worry about the bodybuilding thing. So I didn't train for like four months. Yep. That was the longest stint I had over the, the 35 years I've been training. And I didn't watch my diet either. So I lost muscle and I gained body fat. It was the worst body composition I ever had as an adult. And I really, like, I learned like what atrophy really was. Cause up until that point, I never experienced anything like that so like oh, okay now i know what atrophy is like don't train for a good while and you'll see it and then i quickly got it back like a month later yeah uh, so that's just again it's like whenever i kind of talk to my own athletes like if they start freaking out on like their volume or their intensity you know try to keep give that perspective yeah you know? yeah we've seen yeah. a rise in uh oh go ahead james I was just going to say for, for the viewers that haven't watched Jeff work out, I strongly encourage them to go on his Instagram and watch because you talk about like grinding and intensity. And I know a lot of the younger lifters, when they envision that they think of someone like screaming their head off and like slamming weights and like going berserk. And what I absolutely admire is like your intensity is entirely internal. Like you won't hear you make a noise, but you're like pushing through some really, really hard reps and you're just like stone face the whole time. Every single rep looks identical. And that's efficiency. You're not wasting any energy. Everything you're doing is for a purpose and it's for that growth. So if you could just like talk about that a little bit, maybe the mindset, has it always been that way? Or is that something you've adapted as well? No, it hasn't always been that way. So like back in the nineties and like more of the, the hit days, the mentor days, it was more external. Like I was one of the louder ones in the gym. Um, I used to work out with uh, my neighbor. We used to go to this commercial gym and he, he's a garbage man, big dude. And he would just be screaming, come on, you know, just going at it. You know? and so it was a lot of it was external. And then over the years, like once I started recording my sets and this was like when the social media started happening. So back when I started becoming a coach, like starting to record things and watching this stuff back, I'm like, this is hideous. Like I'm looking at my form and I'm like, then I kind of like, I like to look at other sports versus looking at other bodybuilders to learn more how to do bodybuilding in a sense. Like if you look at guys like Roger Federer, or you look at like, let's say Tim Duncan play basketball. Like these guys are all fundamentally sound. There's no wasted motions at all. And, you know, you look at Roger Federer, he's serving well over hundred miles an hour and he's placing the ball perfectly. Like how can someone just have that much power and place things so accurately? I'm like, let me apply that to my training. Let me have as much force output as I can and keep it totally controlled. So every single rep I do, that's why it looks like so uniform. It's, it's just, it takes practice. It's a skill you have to acquire. And then when, obviously when you're lifting heavy things and you're getting towards the end of a set, you're like, yeah, I'm going to um, have to mentally stay in the zone. Like you can't just 
all of a sudden, like the last rep or two, like, oh shit, it's super hard. Now I'm going to use leverage or, you know, momentum. You could, but then you think about, okay, what's actually moving the weight? Is it my biceps or is it my lower back swinging? Yeah. And I, th- I think a lot of people, and this goes back to the conversation about, you know, people looking for the, you know, the perfect volume, perfect this, perfect that, but it's like, I think execution should come before really all of that mm-hmm. is, is how are you actually executing those sets? It's like, yeah, you did four sets on paper, but it's like, were those four sets four good sets? Were those four sets where you dive bombed every eccentric? Were those four sets where you, you know, used, you know, did well on the eccentric? You know, did you, you know, cheat reps? Did you, you know, there's a lot of things that, you can't see from just looking at a spreadsheet that's, you know, four sets. It's like, well, what is the quality of those four sets? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, sometimes you might be able to do two or three sets and get the same effectiveness Mm -hmm. as the, as the crappier four sets. So it's just perspective. And like the, anytime you walk in the gym for the first time, that should be the priority. Like that's, that's the way people should be coaching it is like, let's, let's learn how to move from point A to point B first once that's sound, then start to worry about progressions. And even then, when you're working on progressions, you know, you still want to, like, form should always be at the forefront. And I think a lot of people are always in a hurry. Like, every week, I got to build my numbers, build my numbers. Like, there's nothing wrong with repeating numbers. Yeah. You repeat it two or three, four, five, six, seven times, you're going to get better at it every single time. You become more efficient. And that's a key word is efficiency. Um, it, it's, it's a hard it's an, it's an easy concept to comprehend. It's definitely hard to apply it when you have so much drive and eagerness to get better. Cause you want to be where those guys you look up to, you want to be there now. Yeah. Um, yeah and so sure. if you, if you ask, like, obviously you guys are asking me, I've been doing it for a long time. You guys are now like, you guys are like, I can tell you're, you're going to be like this prep. You're going to crush it. Now you're going to be the guy. Everybody's going to look at you going, what's this guy doing? It's so special. Like, and you're going to tell him probably the same things I'm telling everybody else for the last 30 years. <laughs> no, for sure. And I think, I think it goes into like what, and Steve, Steve Hall, I know has said, this is, is letting the PRs come to you rather than forcing them. I, I think that's, that's sort of the, the approach that he's taken where it's, you know, you worry about your execution and all of a sudden, Oh, I hit a PR today, you know? Okay rather than saying I need to hit a PR and then thinking about rep 10 before you've even got through rep three, you know, um, it's not even the PR that's driving the gains though. It's the work yeah. leading to the PR that's it driving is. the gains. Yeah. So to me, I gave up on like trying to hit PRs like back in 2013 was probably like the last year where I was hitting like really good PRs. Yep. Yep. Awesome. All right, man, before we close this out, we got a couple minutes left here on the, on the meeting what's what's the biggest piece of advice you give to that you know 19 year old young bodybuilder submits an application to work with you what's what's the biggest thing you you hope to drill into his head in that zoom call i think it's just setting up the big picture like the approach yeah just like right there at first meeting and it's all about okay this is where we want to be like this is where you want to go now let's work backwards so what are the steps for that like of course and that's what we've been talking about like really trying to fine-tune the yeah. training, making sure they're moving correctly, um, but not over-programming. I think a lot of people get a little too cute with programming. It's like, you don't need a lot. Just keep it simple, keep it basic, execute the movements correctly. The progressions will come thereafter. So just really getting a nice foundation with that. 
nutritionally, just making sure they're covering the big rocks, like making sure we're eating enough protein and make sure there's enough calories there to support training. So oftentimes you get a 19 year old, they want to, they want to be jacked, right? Yeah. They want to be lean and jacked at the same time. Chances are, you know, Hey, you're probably not going to be lean yet. Let's focus on eating and growing yeah. first. So it's just those, those simple foundations. It's, it's really hasn't changed through the years. It's, it's, yeah, it's all, the all very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Just making sure you're eating enough, make sure you're progressive with your training, getting enough sleep, making sure you're hydrated. A lot of times the people that aren't making the best progress, they're, they're just not executing. They don't have a good structure set up and they're just not executing. You know, they like to jump from one thing to the next without really giving something an honest try and letting and see what it does for them. Perfect. Perfect. Great way to close this out. All right, people, if you guys enjoyed lessons from the Godfather, I think that's what we're going to title this as. I think that's, that's what I'm going to run with here. I like uh, it. You guys, if you guys like this episode, let us know, give it a like, obviously support Jeff. Um, as he gears up for, for next year, we'll be returning to the stage. So hit him up on Instagram. Um, remind us, what's the Instagram handle again, Jeff? 3DMJ Godfather. Easy to find. Thanks again, guys. If you liked it, give it a like, subscribe to the channel. And don't forget to follow us on Addy underscore news underscore daily on Instagram. And we'll see you guys in the next one.